Good evening, saints of the living God. <clears throat> Tonight is March 23rd, 2023. And man, are we having the time of our lives? Man, we are living in times of abundance. Somebody say abundance. Man, we're seeing engagement happening all around us. Can Luke say amen? In fact, so much so that our singles... Our singles are stepping out of their comfort zone. They're growing in their confidence to get on the dance floor. Man, I saw Daniel Cho cutting it up on the rug of the dance floor, man. It was fun. Church, this is the times that we're living in. Our families are getting into shalom. Our children are growing in obedience. And like Elder Eric said from last Sunday, these are good times that we're living in. In fact, speaking about last Sunday, we were thinking about this, and we thought, you know what, instead of doing a recap, we just want you guys to know that tonight's message was brought to us by a revelation that we gained from Sunday's message. So what you should get from tonight is that the message that we're preaching is a pure reflection from Sunday. So church, as we get started, we're going to get into the title of our message. Title of our message. Come on. Holiness or die trying? Come on. It ain't just an axiom, church. It's our way of life. Church, the invitation to the wedding has gone out. An invitation and call to be brought into the king's presence. How glorious is that? Isaiah 51.1, sorry, 55.1 carries on a similar theme. It says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. There is an invitation that has gone out. An invitation for those who are thirsty, have no money, and have really nothing to offer for why they would be invited for the first place. Doesn't this resemble our lives in the kingdom, church? There was nothing in and of them ourselves that would have caused there to be a reason for us to be invited to meet with the king. And praise God that we are invited and that we responded to it. Hallelujah. Now, there is something we wanted to point out about this. Receiving an invitation for an opportunity of a lifetime to be with the king, how great that is, or how great, as great as it is, is not enough. Somebody said that's not enough. It's not enough to receive an invitation. There's something more. See, we learned from the last scripture shared in Sunday's sermon that there is something required from us. Matthew 22, verse 11 through 12 says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Wow. You know, it's one thing when you're reading this passage and you're engaging with it. It's one thing to be shocked that the man showed up to the wedding without any wedding garments. Yeah. It's kind of silly and it's preposterous and it's shocking. But it's another thing to realize how much more shocking it is that he actually had time to prepare and he did not. The point is not that he, didn't, that he didn't show up with wedding garments. The point is, is that he had the time to prepare to get the right garments. And he did not use his time wisely. He wasted the time. And when he showed up, what he was wearing was showing what his preparation had produced. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe it's not at all surprising that a guest doesn't show up properly dressed to the wedding. But wouldn't it be absurd if it were the bride-to-be that was the one who did not show up properly dressed? Yeah. Kind of a Calvary Comer there. Thank you to Bim. You see, our invitation is not just to attend a wedding. But it is an invitation to be wed to the groom. We have a great invitation to be wed and stand before the King of Kings 
on the day of days in the most holy moment that the universe has ever seen. And to stand there as his bride to be ready for him and to be received by him. We have that invitation readily available to us. So how weighty is that notion? How seriously do we have to take this invitation, knowing that it's, you know, uh, not just Arkansas Dave or, you know, some guy from Mississippi extending the invitation to be married into the uh, uh, motorhome family. We have the king of kings extending the invitation for us and us only to be his bride. Out of all of his creation, he looked at mankind as little as we are and desired us to be his bride. So that means we're in a preparation of a lifetime, a preparation to be perfected so that we can meet the perfect one and be united in one flesh to the perfect one. Come on. Let's turn to John 14. We'll start in verse 1. That's right. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Amen. We look at this, we, we, rep, we constantly recognize the role of the bride. The role of the bride is to, like we heard on Sunday, get the garments ready, to prepare herself, uh, follow the contract, follow the ways of the groom. The groom's role is to prepare that place, to be working, constantly working. Church, imagine how perfect that place will be. The craftsmanship and attention to detail of our groom. Our response as we look at our groom working to prepare is the reflection to do the exact same. The eager expectation that Jesus wants to be with his bride should be reflected back with us wanting to be with our groom. How incredible is that? Jesus is not wasting any time to go and prepare a place for us, a perfect place. Man, I think about Elder Charlie and his craftsmanship is flawless. But when you compare his craftsmanship to Jesus, it pales in comparison. With all due respect to Elder Charlie, the point being is that Jesus is going to play, prepare a place for us that is perfect. And what is required from us is that we need to be perfect ourselves if we're going to be wet to him. See, our garments, say garments, they have to be spot on. They have to be clean. They have to represent him rightly. So engage with this. Without you knowing the time or the hour or the place where the wedding is going to take place, how desperate would you be to desire some help in the preparation to meet the one, get this, who is perfect? Man, you can't just wing this thing. You can't just say, well, I think he may like the way I saw my dress this way. There's not an approximation of what you think he likes. You have to make sure that it's perfect, that it's fitted, that it's tailored for his liking. Because he is a perfect king who deserves the very best. Now, when we think about this, all of us would quickly realize that none of us are up to this task to make our garments perfect. We've all quickly found out, like Hebrews 11:6 6 style, that it is impossible to please him or even draw near to him without him helping us. Man, what should this cause in our hearts? It should cause a desperate cry for help in the preparation process. Lord, help us to get ready for you because you are the perfect one. To cry out for partnership with him in the preparation process. And church, what you will find out is when we cry out in this way, you will already, you would know that your king is willing to help you. See, he's not looking to leave us behind. He is going to help us, and so much so, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says this plainly. This is in the NIV. It says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. 
He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Church, he tells us that we have to get ourselves ready. We have to be perfect. We have to prepare. But he has not abandoned us in the preparation process. Man, he is a thousand percent invested in this process. And how we know that is that he has given us of his very spirit of holiness. Church, he has given us the most precious part of him. He has given us the seal of his ownership as a guarantee of what is to come in the future when we finally see him face to face. Man, how amazing is that? You can view the Holy Spirit as kind of like the engagement ring in the process. When the fiancé puts the engagement ring on his fiancé's, am I saying that right? On his fiancé's finger. That is his sign to say, she is mine. That is his symbol that he puts on her hand and says, this is my promise that I will bring you to the place of our wedding together on the day, and for us to be together. This is my sign that I have put my ownership on you, and I expect you to show up on that day. You see, his willingness to help us is everything. And it must, say must. Must. It must be matched and reciprocated by us and our willingness to put ourselves out there and try. If he is a great king, and he is, If he is such a great God and such a mighty Savior, and he has put it all on the line to redeem us and make us his bride, then what kind of obligation, or no, what kind of service, what kind of servants can we do to him to show him that we want to match his level of commitment to us? What could we do to show him that we are just as willing to be united to him as he was to take us for himself? We must put ourselves out there and try. Paul says this as an encouragement to his brothers in Corinth right at the beginning of verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 13. Listen to how Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Look, do a study on your own time and you'll find out the Greek word behind aim for perfection means to put a thing in its appropriate condition. In other words, to adjust, to fit, to finish, and to complete something. What Paul is saying, it says, hey, aim for perfection What he's talking about is you get to work on your dress for the wedding day. You start fitting it together. You start adjusting it. You make all of the adjustments necessary so that you can stand there unashamed at the wedding day. The aiming for perfection is not so much for the sake of being perfect. It's for you living up to the groom that's already placed his seal of ownership on you. He is the perfect groom, and he has bought you with the price. Therefore, that should cause you to want to live up to the price that he paid for us. It should cause you to desire, I want to be perfect. I want to aim for perfection because the perfect one aimed for me, and he bought me with a perfect price. Anyone ever taken aim at something before and completely off the mark? Right? Yeah, those of you not uh, gifted at basketball, you out in the park and just airball. Okay, yeah, that's exactly it. (laughs) You gave your best effort and still came up short. Has it been any different being in the kingdom? No. Hasn't been any different. No. Taking your aim to do something great for the Lord, for example, to lead your family or to be unashamed of the gospel and walk out his commands, or having to stand under the pressures of the world that you want, that you do not want to conform or compromise, and yet in all your effort, you still miss the mark. This is the price to pay in the reality of anyone who seriously attempts anything for the Lord. The reality of anybody who attempts anything at all, there's that, that chance of missing the mark and failing. But our attitude is not that we 
then give up and don't try. We need, we need to shoot again. Good shooters keep shooting. That's what my coach told me. I don't know why he had to keep telling me that. Maybe you said something you shouldn't have said. Maybe you took a bold stance on a bad decision you shouldn't have made. Yeah. A lot of eyes in the room, yeah. Maybe you made promises to your brothers and team that you did not keep. All this leading you to falling flat on your face. This has been me. This has been us. Many, many times. It's definitely been me many times. Uh, as Adam is preaching, I understand that I'm up here with him, but he's also speaking to me. <laughs> I remember uh, as we were trying to get pregnant for baby Shifra. And you know how it is when you're trying to get pregnant. You know, you're, you're taking pregnancy tests and things like that. And you're excited for what is to come, the promise of God. And we took a test and uh, we got a false positive on the pregnancy test. And in, in all my jubilance and zeal, I was like, we don't need to take another one. This is definitely, definitely the Lord. He's spoken to us. This is it. We are for sure pregnant. Except I didn't know it was a false positive. So the entire time I'm leading my wife on this roller coaster of emotions, like we are pregnant. Things are great. We're sharing with the pastors. We're sharing with brothers. We're getting prayed for. All these things, except that we're not. But I've taken this bold stance on a very bad decision. All we need to do is take another pregnancy test to find out. Man, can you guys relate to this? Yeah, brother, just try again. You just got to try again. So what do we know, right? What do we know? What do we do, rather, knowing that these things do happen in the preparation process? You're giving all your effort, but you're coming up short. We've already established that our groom has sent and has given us of his spirit to help prepare us. And what an awesome helper we have in the Holy Spirit. With that being said, what must our attitude be when we try aiming for perfection, but we miss the mark? We have to take another shot, but it's holiness to die trying in the room. We don't have a basketball in our hand, but what does it look like scripturally in the kingdom to stand to do this again? You failed. Let's just magnify. Let's just look at Proverbs 24. Let's just put it, put it up on the screen. Look, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, the LSB says, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked will stumble in calamity. So what does it look like when you give your best effort, you muster it up to do something glorious for the king, and you fall flat on your face? You got to rise up again, church. You have to get back on your feet. You have to rise up regardless of how you feel in the moment or whatever else is going on. Think about this. You think your groom is surprised that you got something wrong? No. That you missed a few holes in your wedding garment? No. Maybe lost a few coins? Absolutely not. He is familiar with our weaknesses like Hebrews 4.15 says. He, he, in fact, faced all the testings and much more than we did, and he did not sin. He did not fall, church. This is our hope. This is the hope that we have tonight that when we do fall and we get something wrong and we miss the mark, that we can get back up again because of the promise that we see in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Look at what it says in the NET. So he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So we have an intercede an intercessor rooting for us. He is our groom. He is waiting for us. He has sent the spirit to help us and he himself is interceding for us and rooting for us at all times. He is the one that is helping us and partnering with us in the preparation process. You know what that causes us to do? It causes us to not hide or lament when we lose a coin or have to search for it. Because we know what the ultimate goal is, because we know that we will be united with him in body and spirit, and because we know that he is the one helping us, he, his power is with us, helping us get it right, we don't need to sit there and lament when we get something wrong. 
Because ultimately, through us getting back up again like a righteous man, because he is interceding for us, we can really demonstrate when we lose a coin that his power is able to perfect us. As we are aiming for perfection, his power is right there making us perfect. You know what that means? That it's not you making yourself perfect. Therefore, the pressure is not on you to make yourself perfect. Your groom is making you perfect. That causes me in so many ways to want to be transparent about everything in my life. You guys know that I love to tell the nitty-gritty details of my life. You want to know why? Because I know that when I do, yes, I'm demonstrating my, uh, how fallible I am. I'm demonstrating how weak I am. But you know what I'm really doing in the midst of that? I am bringing glory to the king of kings and my groom because I know that he has the power to lift me up even though I am very much aware of how much of a wretch I am. I am very painfully aware of all of the areas. In fact, there are times I am so uh, just distraught with myself. But what I also know is that he is helping me and I've seen his power I have seen his power so at work in my life to rid me of things that have eaten my lunch over the years that I know my groom. And this is the beauty of having an intercessor who is working on your behalf. You have never met Jesus Christ personally. And yet you know what he is like through the demonstration of power inside of you, helping you to gain power over your weaknesses. You are getting a fresh revelation of your groom every day the moment that you find a lost coin. The moment that you say, hey, I lost, I found it this week. This week, I lost coins in my life have been, I've lost the urgency. I've lost the urgency. I, I've fallen into the trap of thinking, you know, well, one day I'm going to die and I will meet Jesus. But that's going to be a long ways away. So, therefore, I don't need to worry. I just coast on through this. And, you know, God's got it. And the whole time, the, the scriptures teach me to number my days. That every day is just so important. And after Sunday's message, I realized, man, that's a lost coin. That I, I've lost the urgency and the passion for giving every day to my king. But what I realized when I found that lost coin, my God. When I found that lost coin, he, I was honest with myself. It's like, dang, how did I let it get to this? I, I, I struggle from time to time with my passion in the word. I know it it's, sounds bizarre because we study it like 20 to 30 hours every week together. Some of the best men I've ever done this with. But every once in a while, I lose my passion for the word. But I'm realizing, as I realize that's a, a coin I've lost and I find it again, he comes in. And as I admit it and find joy over that lost coin, he comes in and fills me. He helps me find that lost coin that I did not have. And life is 10 times better in the kingdom than it was the day before. See, because he intercedes, we, we do not want to hide. It's not enough to sit here and say, don't hide your sin. Don't hide your sin. When you get this down in your soul, you don't want to hide your sin anymore. You want to find lost coins. We don't lose heart in this process. Like 2 Corinthians 4.1 says. Actually, 2 Corinthians 4.2. But we have rejected. This is in the net. We have rejected shameful, hidden deeds, not behaving with deceptiveness or distorting the word of God, but by open proclamation of the truth. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience before God. We walk in the light, like 1 John 1.7 says, when we openly proclaim the truth of where we are at and we we allow our condemnation, I keep saying that, we allow our commendation to come from everyone's conscience before God. Amen. When I allow my commendation to come from Wade's conscience, uh, Eric's conscience, Judah's conscience, uh, Tisdale's conscience, Luke's conscience, when their conscience uh, determines my commendation, meaning I set forth the truth of my life in front of them, and their conscience is determining my condemnation, commendation, before God, that's a freeing thing. There's so much freedom in that because it allows me, Spencer does this all the time. He's always correcting me on things. 
And I love it. Amen. I love it because as, as he's doing it, from his conscience about what I'm doing, he is commending me up to a higher level. Amen. And I am I'm becoming closer and closer and more united with the king. Amen. And that's just beautiful. Can you, hear, can you hear the transformation that's happened to my brother because of that transparency? Yes. That's the desire we should all have. We see the passion. We see the fire that's in him. And that's because of that constant pouring himself out. Constant uh, pouring out to other people what is happening in his life. It, it, it then allows men like Spencer McLean to reach down, grab a brother, and, and build him back up. And continue to keep increasing in him. Let's, uh, let's go to a book of strength. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. Yeah. <laughs> Nehemiah 8, 9. In the swoosh. In the swoosh. Keep shooting. It's going to be on my mind all night now. Holiness through doctrine. Yeah. That's right. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priestly scribe, and the Levites who were imparting understanding to the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping when they heard the words of the law. He said to them, Go and eat delicacies and drink sweet drinks. <laughs> and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. <laughs> then the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not grieve. So all the people departed to eat and drink and to share their food with others and to enjoy tremendous joy. For they had gained insight in the matters that had been made known to them. In Nehemiah 8, we know that Nehemiah, Ezra, the Levites, they're reading from the book of the law. And the people are eager to hear it. We are eager to hear. Once they hear the law, they're mourning because of the conviction. The, the piercing of their heart of the realization of what they had not been doing. How they've been missing that mark. But what's the response from the men of God around them, church? Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They gained insight into what was made known to them. They now know what to turn from and what to do. This is our response, church. Praising the Lord for his goodness to reveal lost coins to us through the Holy Spirit. We don't want to go throughout our lifetime. Coming to that point... When Jesus is walking through that door and we are unprepared, we can be thankful for the Holy Spirit, for our King to reveal things that need to be corrected. The things that we need to get right so that we are reflecting perfection like He is perfect. And we have that opportunity. It's a joy, church. This is not, this is not a, a, uh, a burden or a bearing down on you. This is your joy. It's actually harder to hold on to secret things. Yeah, it is. It's actually harder to hold on to your, your troubles and your problems than it is to just be open. Yeah. There's actually more burden than carrying everything that you're dealing with to yourself and not revealing it to the group than there is to just being open knowing that he's interceding for you. Yeah. The reason we hide things and the reason we don't have joy over correction is because we don't actually believe that he's for us. But when we know him and we have intimacy with him and we know that he's interceding for us, gosh, the burden is taken off completely when you're living free. That's amazing. It's also why we love some of the many biblical characters that we do. It's why we love men like King David, a man who lost many coins, but he found them again by the help of his groom. When thinking about this, I've thought about my life as well. The lost coins since last Sunday's message. Thinking about the lost coins of a, a commitment to the Lord. The Lord showed me that my commitment to him was wavering. Like I said, yes, Lord, I will follow you wherever, wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever it is. I don't need to know all the thousands of steps, Lord. The answer is yes. And along those thousands of steps, since 2015, a lot has happened. And the Lord has shown me, son, your, your, your commitment to me is wavering. But church, he helped me find it. 
He helped me discover the lost coin. It's not something I could have discovered on my own. There's no way to sit there and think and, and run through my mind and my own heart and say, okay, what, what, what is the lost coin? Oh, my groom was looking down. My groom was interceding for me. My groom showed me what the lost coin was, and he helped me discover it. Amen. Also found the lost coin of having a heart full of gratitude, yeah. like having joy. Joy in my marriage and just being joyful regardless of the circumstances. He helped me discover that. He helped me find the lost coin of praising him in the midst of difficulty. Man, that has to be supernatural. That is the opposite of our flesh. It is supernatural because our king is able to help us to lift up praise in the midst of the most trying times in our lives. Church, he's helping us discover coins. And I know around the room that he's doing the same for you. I know that when you heard Sunday's message, I know that it was impactful, was convicting, and yet it was uplifting because your king will not leave you there. It's what David says in Psalm 18. The Lord parts the heavens and came down and rescued him from the muck and the mire. And that's what he's doing here in our body. Church, we get to light the lamp. Say light the lamp. We get to sweep the house. Say sweep the house. And we get to find that coin. Say, find the coin. coin. We are saying no to despair in this process because his spirit, his Ruach HaKodesh is helping us. So as a result, we are going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate when we find these lost coins because he is causing us to be victorious in this process. Come on. This is the same attitude we want to see or that we see in the Psalms. We have the writings to help instruct us on how we walk this out in a way that is honoring our king. So we have a slide for you. Come on. The attitude of the Psalms. So, in Psalm 144, he trains us. The Lord, my protector, deserves praise. The one who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for war. He is our shield, church, our refuge, our deliverer, worthy of praise. In the fall, Psalm 145, 14 through 15, the Lord supports all who fall and lifts up all who are bent over. He lifts us up when we are down, church. This should cause anticipation and longing for him. Our helper, the hope in him, Psalm 146, verse 5, how blessed is the one whose helper is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, the one who made the heavens and earth and the sea and all that's in them. Remains forever faithful, vindicates the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, releases the imprisoned, gives sight to the blind, lifts up all who are bent over, loves the godly, protects and lifts up. In the, in the waiting, somebody say in the waiting. In the waiting. This is from Psalm 140, 147 verse 11 that the Lord takes delight in his faithful followers and in those who wait for his loyal love. Yeah. Church, we get to wait for him. This is a delight that he takes delight in his faithful followers. And when you read the rest of the Psalms, you see what he does for us. You see what he does for our families. You see what he does for our children and our generations. He is worthy. We have the victory like Psalm 148 verse 14 says. That he has made his people victorious. That he's given his loyal followers a reason to praise his holy name. Church, we have many, a plethora of reasons to praise the living God for what he's doing in our body. Our church is full of victories. Our church is full of miracles because our groom has not abandoned us to the grave. He is helping us in this process. This process produces joy inside of us. And that's what you see in these seven, these seven uh, attitudes of the Psalms. Just looking at Psalm 144 to 150, there is joy in him training us. There's joy even when we fall. There's joy in him being our helper. There's joy in the waiting process. There's joy when we have victory. There's joy in the delivering. And then there's just joy with all of our being. Amen. That is the outcome of this process. It reminds me of why Psalm 51 verse 12 is so important in David's prayer after he has sinned in front of the entire nation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. The the outcome 
of being transparent, the outcome of allowing the king to come and help you, the outcome of finding a lost coin is always joy. The joy that you had at first, the joy of your salvation, the joy of you just being in the king, in the kingdom, because you are becoming closer to the king in every area. And you know as well as I know that when you don't feel close to the king, how hard is it to have joy? But when you feel like you're close to the king, man, everything's upbeat. You're happy about all of the opportunities. You're happy about work. You're happy about pastoring your wife. What we are learning to do is not just be joyful when we feel like it, though. To engage with this process every single day, looking for lost coins, looking for the areas. Lord, what have I missed? What have I missed? Search me, oh God. And that results in a lifestyle of joy that no matter what circumstance you are in, you are full of the joy of your salvation because you know that you are growing closer to the king. So now that you've seen these connections and how they result in joy, we want to go back to the book of John to visualize the process, the wedding process in its entirety. We're going to start with John 16, verse 12 through 16. In verse 12 in the NIV, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So Jesus is speaking. The groom is speaking. And he's saying that the spirit of truth will be given to you. Like a Shad Khan. The spirit of truth will be given to you so that you will be guided. Amen. Guided where? Back to the groom, into all truth. Into all the truth that he is so that you will be guided back to the groom. You see, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, serves us in this sense that the spirit of truth makes us ready to be united by guiding us in all truth. That is the Holy Spirit's job. That is why when you do something you're not so sure about, you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you and pricking your heart. That is why when you're doing something and you're getting closer to something you're not supposed to, you feel the Holy Spirit guiding you into all truth because that's His job. The Shad Khan is leading you for the supreme purpose of making you ready to be united to your groom. He is illuminating the areas in our lives that are not perfect. But he's not doing that to shame you. How dare you, you nasty bride. You're not ready for your groom. No, he's highlighting the areas in your life that are not perfect because he wants to allow you to perfect them into greater holiness. There is something that has to happen for you to be united to your groom. And you must become holy. That is the thing that must happen. How will you do that? Well, he's given you a helper to guide you along in that process. And it's not a one-time event. This is the process of your entire life growing into greater truth, growing into greater holiness so that when you see the groom again, you are ready to see him. What does verse 14 say? says, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. The disciples are told that they will not see him, but they will have the Spirit guiding them. How much do we cherish the Spirit's working in our life? Look what he says later to his disciples. John 20, 28 through 29. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is a blessing for those who like us, who have not seen the groom and yet believe and are committed to him, church. Yes. There is a special longing that takes place that when we are eagerly desiring to see him, and be with him, eagerly desiring. Uh, the other day, where's Nick Rosales at? Is he in here? 
There he is. The other day, uh, during discipleship training, Nick Rosales is talking about uh, him, him wanting to feast off the word. Yeah. And this, this picking. And when he's, I'm sure a good story about you. When he's around and there's food around, he likes to just pick at it. Yeah. Pick at it. Pick at it. Pick at it and keep going. He wants to keep just eating. But he's, he's going after it because it's something he wants. He wants to be nourished by it. He wants to just have it. How much more when we eagerly desire and we constantly want to keep going after the Lord, going after the Lord, going after the Lord. Nothing's stopping us. We, we keep a, a wholehearted pursuit, a flame that's rising up inside of us that nothing is going to snuff out. Have you ever heard the phrase, distance makes the heart grow fonder? What is it like for us sitting in this room when we get into worship together and the Holy Spirit just starts speaking to you? And the Lord starts showering his love on your heart. Amen. And you know that you know that you are experiencing the God of all creation and no man is doing this for you. Doesn't that cause a longing in your heart to want to be united? You see, there is a distance between us and our groom. But he's given us his helper. He's given us the spirit to guide us into all truth. You know what that means? Every time you feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost... It's not intentional for you to be, the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not given to you so you can be further away from him. It's given to you to draw you closer to him. Every time you feel that voice saying, hey, this is wrong and you should stop, you should bring this up to your brothers, the Spirit's calling you higher. He's calling you up to your groom. He's not casting you down. He's calling you higher. This produces a greater love for those moments when the Spirit convicts us. A greater hunger for the holiness that comes when the Spirit of God speaks to you and tells you and reveals to an area that you, find, you can find a lost coin. To know that He is for us should cause there to be a hunger for holiness welling up inside of us. To be set apart for Him. It should cause us to prepare to be united with our king, even though we have not seen him yet. When we were studying this, we were reminded of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 in the 1984 NIV. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Amen. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have not seen him, church, but yet we love him. Yes. Thinking about Luke and Abby, they have seen each other and they've settled their wedding day. And there's a longing and a preparation for that day. Church, we have not seen him and yet we know that we will be united with him. Doesn't that make your heart flutter for your groom? We have his spirit, his spirit of holiness to help prepare us. And church, we should be thankful for his spirit. In fact, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy at the thought of being united with him. Man, you read, read Revelation. It says that there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sin. That day is coming, and we are in the preparation process for that day. And because of this, we should have all the joy that he's revealing things inside of us now, the lost coins now, so we can find them, so that we can stand upon that day unashamed in front of our king. Man, let's long for that holiness, church, that we long to be set apart for our king. Now, when we say all of this, there's a picture that you should have in mind. And the picture is this. It's a picture of a bride who would do anything to get to her husband. Not a bride who's afraid, not a bride who's trepidatious, not a bride who's fearful of punishment and therefore does not engage with the spirit. When we're thinking about this and thinking about the bride of Christ on the, and the journey that we are on, this journey to meet him, although we've never seen our groom. We've never seen our Messiah. Genesis chapter 24 is something that we need to come to and have in mind. You guys tracking with us tonight? Yeah. There's so many beautiful things that Abimbola just said. And we got to get to Genesis 24. But know this. Just picked Alan off of what he just said. 
for those of us in this room that are longing to be free of sin at any cost to ourselves, who are longing to be holy now, he will actually fulfill that desire when you meet him by ridding the presence of sin from you. He'll actually fulfill that desire for you. I don't want to talk about what happens if we're not longing for that, though. Genesis 24 is, the, is in the Torah the imagery that we see in the book of John. When Jesus says, you, you do not see me, blessed are you if you do not see me but you believe. And Peter says, you do not see him, yet you love him. Listen to how this plays out in the story in Genesis 24. Now the context of this story is we have the father of the faithful. Who is that? Abraham. Abraham. The father is sending his own servant to find a bride for the promised son. You have Abraham sending his servant to find a bride for Isaac. You have the father, the servant, or you could say the spirit, and then you have the promised son. When we get to Genesis 24.10, you see the servant leaving. And in Genesis 24.10, it says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out from Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. So here we see the servant in this story in the Torah uh, representing the Holy Spirit or prefiguring the Holy Spirit. We see the servant, the Holy Spirit, on ten camels, which if you know your Bible, what does ten represent? The commands. We see the Spirit on ten camels, or the servant on ten camels, representing the commands. And this is showing us, the, in this story, prefiguring the relationship between the Word and the Spirit working together to find a bride for the promised Son. Amen. The Spirit of God working in conjunction with the Word of God to go out and seek a bride, the right bride, and prepare that bride for the promised son. And by the way, just so you know, this is a 995-mile journey through the desert. Genesis 24, 21, then picks up. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. As we see here, the spirit, the servant, watches closely to see whether or not our actions are in line with the will of the father. The servant showers the bride with gifts of approval and ownership. The next section will be the servant testifying what he has seen. So in Genesis 24, verse 34, we get to the place where the servant is standing before. So she meets Rebecca. And you've seen that the servant has watched closely. And you remember the story. He asked for a sign. Lord, let this happen if this is the woman you have for my master. And the servant is watching closely to see if this is, if this is the bride. That speaks to the level of care with which the Holy Spirit watches our lives, watches every move that we make to see whether it is in alignment with what the Father desires for His Son. When we get to verse 34 of Genesis 24, this is when she has brought, she has brought Abraham back to her household. And he's going to give testimony to the entire household to what the Father is like and to what the Son is like. And you need to hear this because there's some obvious connections to John 16. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maid servants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her whole old age. And he has given him everything he owns. Amen. The testimony that the servant is giving the bride and her family. 
is this, that the Lord has blessed my master, Abraham. The Lord has given my master, Abraham, a son. And everything that the father has belongs to the son. Did you hear that in John 16? All that belongs to the father belongs to the son. The servant is making known to the bride what belongs to the son. The servant, the spirit of God is illuminating, is making the father known to the bride and making the son known to the bride. This is exactly what God does in our life. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. The Holy Spirit seeks to reveal the Son to you in greater and greater measure. That is why Paul is always praying, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of Christ. That you would be mature in your knowledge of Christ. Why? Why does the servant do that in this household? Because the servant and the Spirit knows that if the bride could just catch a glimpse of revelation of her groom, she will come running and she will make herself ready for the Son. Church, there's something you need to hear tonight. You want to make yourself ready? You want to prepare? Get a revelation of Jesus Christ. Get a revelation of your groom. Go study the word. Get into what the word says about him. And I promise it will uplift your heart and you will be ready to prepare yourself for him. You will come out of your cave of despair. You will come out of your gloom and doom. And you will say, that's my king. I am ready to meet him. Look how this plays out. In this next passage, in verse 53, look at Rebecca's response to the revelation of what the spirit servant is giving in this moment. Look at what it says in verse 53. It says, then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up in the, mo- the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. Wow. Look at verse 58. <clears throat> Then, so they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. The servant clothed the bride with articles of clothing and more gifts. These gifts were both to prepare the bride and to reveal her, to give her a a taste of what is to come. We see that the family here, they're hesitant to release Rebecca, but she is longing and desiring to meet her groom. She has not seen the son, her future groom, but she has heard testimony of the father and has seen the gifts and the glory of the son through the servant that is in front of her. She is willing to follow the servant so that she can get to the son. This church is what holiness looks like. You, LCM, say me. Me. You've never seen him, yet you know of his testimony, and you will do whatever it takes, like Rebecca, to see him and be with him. I will go. I will go, church. That has to be the response. And look at how this plays out in verse 61. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready. And mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Come on, church. Rebecca starts the journey. It always starts with a beginning, a moving of your feet. 995 miles in the desert to marry a man she has never met. Let me, let me just jump in for a second. We went to Cairo years ago. Went as a, went as a team. We were there less than a day. And it was rough. 995 miles in the desert to meet a man that she has never, to marry rather, a man that she's never met. Church is the same for us. We don't know the day or the hour or how long it's going to take to get to that journey or to get to the destination, but we're on this journey and we're committed. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's not a short journey, but there's complete trust in the servant to get her there. Yeah. That's such a good point. <laughs> 
There's complete trust in the servant to get her there. Imagine the questions she'd had along the way. Hey, put yourself in that position. It's a desert, 995 miles. Plenty of time to talk. talk. Have thoughts in your own head and talking to the servant. It's about 53 days if you're walking. Yeah. But this question's like, what is he like? What does he expect of me? How can, how am I going to please him? (laughs) She's never seen him. And yet she has heard his testimony. She has seen his gifts. And now she was following his servant with everything that she has, leaving everything that she knew before and just going, trusting in the leading of the servant. We're trying with everything we can to put you guys in the position of Rebecca tonight. God, imagine. I don't know what he's like. I've seen his gifts. I've seen his testimonies. I've never met him, but I know that this servant will get me there, and I'm going to follow him with all of my heart. No matter how far he takes me into the desert, no matter how long this journey takes, I am going to follow the Spirit of God all the way because I want to be with my groom. I want to be with this man that I've heard about. I, w- I want to be with this king that I have seen these gifts of. This is the level of trust that is needed for us to follow the servant all the way to the promised son. Amen. The level of trust needed for us to follow the spirit in every single detail that the spirit highlights to us. This is the intimacy that we have now. We are on this journey now. We are in the desert now like Rebecca. This is the intimacy that we have now with the servant clinging to him, clinging to the servant. What is he like? This is the holiness that you long for. I am preparing myself in the groom for the groom. I am with the servant in the desert. How can I please him? What level can I set myself apart for him on the way? Being prepared. Developing a love for the character of the son that causes a longing for him. A love for the son that causes you to want to do everything you can to prepare for that day. Having a longing inside of you along that journey every morning waking up. Is today the day I'm going to meet my groom? How about is today the day? What about tomorrow? Are we going to be there tomorrow? Man, this journey is long. I really want to meet my groom. Are we going to be there next week? That longing that we must have, church. That holiness that is attached to the longing to make ourselves ready along the journey and be set apart from him. With that, saying no to every fear that comes along, that comes inside of us. Because you desire oneness with him. This journey is taking too long. It's too hot. I'm not desirable enough. Uh, I don't know if this is really going the right way. I'm hungry. This is miserable. No. The most important thing that's hanging in front of my eyes is my desire to be with him. So I'm going going to follow the Spirit as long as it takes. Now we're going to get into verse 62. And granted, the story goes from her setting out to just getting there. (laughs) We've given you a lot of probably what happened in the background. But you need to really glean on how she gets there. Okay, because when we read 62 through 65, you're going to see the state that she arrived in and the readiness that she arrived with. Check this out in verse 62. It says, now Isaac had come from Bear Lohai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. (sighs) Jeez, so good. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and she asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. It's difficult not to think about the imagery of Daniel 7, the son of man coming in the clouds of glory. This is the moment that they both had been waiting for. She had been faithful to prepare herself to make herself ready to be holy with the groom. And the groom had been patiently waiting. Almost like he said in John, he has gone to prepare a place for us. He has been patiently waiting, working in his father's house. And my goodness, when they see each other, she is already 
presently possessing the wedding veil that is at hand. Did you guys see that in that, in, in that verse? Church, how beautiful is this imagery? She has her wedding veil at hand, and she puts it on and covers herself. This is the imagery of the bride being led by the servant or the spirit right into the presence of the groom. Perhaps, perhaps this is the imagery that Jude had in mind when he wrote the following in verse 24 and 25. Come on. As we're coming to a close here. Jude 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Church, we can see here what he is doing and will do for us. What should our response be? Let's stand to our feet. And we're going to find out. Yeah, our response should be Philippians 3.12 through 14. Listen to Paul's attitude as he's longing to be united with his groom. Let's catch this in the NLT. This is important. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. God, what honesty there is in that. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What God is calling us to now and in this moment is to have the level of pressing on inside of us that can only be done with the focus on one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead for us, church? We were talking about this the other night. The goal of everything that we're doing, yes, it's so that there is ministry planted in a swan. Yes, it is so that there is ordinations. Yes, it is so that there is children being born and raised up. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for every single life in this room to be united with the groom. That's the ultimate goal. Looking forward to that, we can press on to what is ahead. Tonight, we want to build the anticipation to meet the king and the thankfulness for his servant who is not only leading us but revealing to us the areas that need to be shored up in our lives so that we can be ready to meet the king. This means that we're actually getting closer to the king every time that the servant points something out to us or leads us in a step or in a direction. Tonight, we're going to let thankfulness rise in the form of praise. That we have his servant and his servant is faithful to bring us to the groom. Tonight, we want to let our love for holiness grow in this place. We can no longer operate out of a desire just to not sin. It's not possible to be ready for your groom just motivated to not mess up. That is not the bride that the groom is looking for, a bride that's afraid to mess up. No, he's looking for a bride that is madly in love with him and will do anything within your power to reach him. He's looking for the kind of bride that will openly admit, I've got it wrong in this area, but I want holiness so bad because I want to be close to him now. I want to be prepared to meet him, so I want holiness now. What God wants to do in this room is let our passion and love for holiness and our desire to be united with our King rise. And through that, elevate our transparency and our readiness to find out lost coins. If that's you, if you need to let your love for holiness grow in this place, not that you've already been holy, 
but you haven't had a love for holiness, a pure desire for being set apart to him in everything in your life, if that's you, come down to this altar. Let the fire of this altar stir up your heart so that you love his holiness so much that you would rather have it and be embarrassed than to not have it. And let areas of your life that are keeping you from the king stay hidden. Mighty God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in us. We thank you that you sent your servant to convict us. You sent your servant to guide us into all truth. Lord, we love you. We want to be close to you. We want intimacy with you, Jesus. Let your holiness burn inside of us like a bride longing for her groom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.